See, it works like this. It must drive the evil one nuts. But it works like this. The more you know your sin, the more you run into the arms of Jesus. And the more you run into the arms of Jesus, the more you see his perfect love. And the more you see his perfect love, the more you begin to grasp just how unconditional it is. And the more you grasp just how unconditional his love is, the more you are suddenly grasping what can't be grasped. You are knowing what can't be known. The height, the depth, the length, the width of the love of Christ. See, that's the journey. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Our scripture today, which I cannot possibly do justice to this morning, comes from Ephesians chapter 3. This is the prayer that Paul prays for all of us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. One thing that we have to say about Paul is that he not only walks the walk, he talks the talk. Not only does he preach the gospel that through faith in Jesus we have access to the Father, that we can go there boldly and confidently, he does it. 
He accesses the Father in prayer. And he prays. And wow, does he pray. Both the front end and, and the back end of the prayer, they help us see the prayer. Wow, does he pray. On the front end of the prayer, he kneels. Makes me think of the times in my life when I've knelt. I have knelt in my life for exactly two beings. I have knelt before my God. I remember when I was a little boy in church, we had those kneelers. And I would kneel, and every week I would confess my sins, and every week there was forgiveness. But I've also knelt for my wife. Two beings I've knelt for. Paul kneels. He kneels. He's so solemn. He's so urgent. He kneels. The front end of the prayer, but the back end of the prayer. I mean, how do I get it across to you? He has so much confidence that what, what he's prayed, the petitions of his prayer, that they're going to be heard. Did you hear what he said about God in English? It reads like this, that he's so confident because God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's what it says in English. It's, it's not a great translation. Do you know what it says in, in Greek? Here's what it says. It says that God can do more than all the things that can possibly be done. God is that powerful. He is that omnipotent. God can do more than all the things that can possibly be done, more than we can ever imagine, he kneels. And he brings his petitions to God with all of his heart. We're in this sermon series right now called Uncovered. What we're doing is we're uncovering various aspects of Christ and what we're going to uncover today as we look at the petitions that Paul prays in this prayer is the love of Christ. I want to show you just two things today about the love of Christ. I want to show you Christ in you, and I want to show you Christ for you. Paul's first petition, the one that he leads off with, is Christ in in you. He prays that the Father would strengthen you through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. If you back up from that petition, what you begin to see is that this is, in fact, the desire of the entire Godhead. The whole Trinity is involved. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> All of God. It's his earnest desire, the Godhead, that Christ would be in you. So he starts there. 
He prays that the Father of us all would strengthen us by the Spirit of us all so that the Christ of us all would dwell in us all. He starts with the whole creedal God. This God who's just overflowing in grace. Paul teaches us God, we didn't create ourselves. God made us all. We don't redeem ourselves. The only thing we need to be reconciled to God is Christ. Christ redeems us all. We don't even convert ourselves. We don't do that. Paul doesn't pray to you that you would strengthen yourself or give yourself faith. He prays to the Spirit that the Spirit would do it. You be strengthened by Him. God made us. Christ redeems us. The Spirit gives us the new life of faith. All of it is so that Christ would dwell in you. All of this is a little bit awkward if you think about it in the book of Ephesians. There's a certain tension. I mean, the Christians in Ephesus, the Christians here, they know the love of Jesus. Paul said that. He already said that. He said that these were people who drew near to God through the blood of Christ. They knew to do it. They knew that that was the only way. They, these were people who knew that they had been saved by grace alone through faith. They, they were people who knew that this does not come from themselves as it teaches in the book of Ephesians but that it comes from the, from the grace and, and the goodness of God. These were people who understood the gospel. They knew Jesus and yet Paul prays for these believers that they would believe which is awkward. There's a certain tension in that. Were they unconverted or something? <laughs> they were believers who believed in Jesus, and Paul prays that they believe in Jesus. They were people who had Christ dwelling in them, and yet Christ, and yet Paul prays that Christ would dwell in them. They were Christians who knew the gospel, and yet Paul prays that they know the gospel. What do we do with that? Well, maybe this. It's important to understand that once we are converted, we need to stay converted. One of the blessings of being a pastor for a long time at a place is that there develops a sort of understanding between the church and the pastor. They hear him every week. They get used to him in a good way. And they begin to understand what I think are sometimes subtle little bits of communication, kind of like when you've been married a long time and your wife looks at you and you just go, oh. A number of you caught last week that 
I was trying to have one of those moments that I was steering. And I know you caught it because people texted me about it or they emailed me about it or they spoke to me about it. You caught it. Got to the end of my sermon last week and and I said, this is what I'm going to do in 2021. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to trust Christ to be Christ. He's the Messiah. I'm not. And that means I can focus on what I need to focus on. I'm not going to worry about that other stuff. I'm going to do what I'm anointed to do. That's what I said. I was steering hard. And you caught it. And I was doing that. I was doing that because I already had this prayer on my heart. Do you know what I want for you more than anything else? That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Because so many, many, many other things can dwell there. Do you know how you can tell what's really dwelling in your heart? Jesus teaches you. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says in another place, by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. How do you know what it is that's actually dwelling in your heart? How do you figure out what it is that has taken up true residence in your heart? Well, Jesus teaches you. Your words reveal you. So what have you been talking about recently? I heard a story just after I was done studying this scripture. Somebody told me a story about a dinner party that some Christians had, a small dinner party they had friends over. They said it was the worst experience. The guests were complaining and they were complaining and they were complaining and they were angry and they were fearful and they were complaining. They tried to steer the conversation. They could never get back. So many things were dwelling in their hearts. None of it was Christ. It's a good thing that Paul gives us not just one petition, Christ, in you, but that he also gives us another petition, Christ, for you. Paul goes on and he prays that we together, with all the saints, would be able to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And, and that we would know this love that surpasses all knowledge. 
Which brings us to some extreme difficulties. See, see Paul, Paul prays that we be able to grasp something that we cannot effectively grasp. Why not? Well, because Christ's love comes in 4D. <laughs> By the way, I, I have no business talking about four-dimensional life. I have a hard enough time living in three-dimensional life, so I apologize. I just don't know how else to talk about this. This is 4D. I mean, this drives scholars nuts. You've got measurements here, wide and long and high and deep. <laughs> Except that it's not just a cube that, see, that Paul's describing. There's not just three dimensions, there's four dimensions. <laughs> see, it appears that what's actually happening here is that we live in 3D, but Christ's love comes at us in 4D. It's not just wide and long and high and deep. It's got another dimension to it. How do you grasp that? How do you grasp a love that comes at you in 4D when you live in 3D? That's your first difficulty. Here's the second difficulty. How do you know something that can't be known? That's what Paul prayed. He says, I pray that you know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we've got two difficulties here. Paul prays here that we can grasp a love that can't be grasped. And he prays that we know a love that can't be known. We've got two difficulties, which brings me to this. First, I want to share with you the good news about this very good news. The good news about this very good news is that once you know Jesus, there is always more Jesus to know. The good news is that once you have tasted the love of Jesus, there is always more love to Jesus. The good news is that once you have experienced the goodness of the grace of God, you are always only, so to speak, on the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> the good news about the good news is that there is always more love to know. But now, here's the bad news about the good news. The bad news about the good news is that one of the number one ways that you come to understand the love of Christ is that you get cracked open. You come to know the love of Christ kind of like you get at the meat of a nut. You are cracked. I remember when I was a younger man before I was a pastor, there was a time in my life when I really wondered if God loved me or not. 
That is a deep sense, an overwhelming sense of my personal sin. Thank God that there was a pastor and a theologian by the name of Johann Gerhardt that was there to help me. And he helped me see something. He helped me see that there was a connection, a deep connection between your personal knowledge of sin and your personal knowledge of the love of Jesus. See, it works like this. It must drive the evil one nuts. But it works like this. The more you know your sin, the more you run into the arms of Jesus. And the more you run into the arms of Jesus, the more you see his perfect love. And the more you see his perfect love, the more you begin to grasp just how unconditional it is. And the more you grasp just how unconditional his love is, the more you are suddenly grasping what can't be grasped. You are knowing what can't be known. The height, the depth, the length, the width of the love of Christ. See, that's the journey. You know what it's like? This is what I think it's like. Life as a Christian. Life as a Christian begins and you sort of have a teenage romance with Jesus. He's your crush. Then that develops into a lifelong romance and that then develops an eternal flame of love. There's always more. When Paul found out from Christ that he was forgiven for killing Christians, there was still more love to know. When Matthew found out the thrill that Christ was pursuing him when he was a tax collector, there was still more love to know. When that sinful woman found out that her sins were forgiven, she was just getting started knowing the love of Jesus. That's how it was for them and that's how it is for us. There's always more. When you first become a Christian, you ain't seen nothing yet. I want to tell you why. Two reasons for you. The first is that when you first become a Christian, you have no idea, not much anyway, of the power of sin in your life. See, because before, when you weren't a Christian, you were just doing whatever you wanted. You weren't ever fighting sin. You were just led around by the nose, like you're on a leash by your sin. You weren't even trying, and you know what? You don't really know the enemy until you really fight. Then you know. I've had people tell me this. They say to me, Pastor, you don't know what it's like. You don't know the power of sin. Because you've never had a time in your life when you were just living however you want. And when people say stuff like that to me, I say to him this, are you sure? 
Because you know what I see? It may very well be true that there's never been a time in my life when I've been freely pursuing the pleasures of sin. But there has always been a time in my life when I have fought sin. And because I have fought the sin in me, I know the power of the real enemy. And because I know the power of the real enemy, I know just how much love Christ must have to love me. Here's your second reason. When you first become a Christian, you have a hard time grasping the horror of sin. See, because as you grow in your Christian life, what happens is you love the Jesus who has loved you. You love him more and more and more and more. And the more that you love Jesus, the more you don't want to do the things that he has told you not to do. And then when you do it, see, what personal sin does, your knowledge of it, is it cracks you open to what lives in you. And it's there in those moments when the love of Christ pours into your soul. Over and over and over again, you come to points in your life and you look at Jesus and you say, here, Jesus too. And Jesus says, yes, I love you here too. We've got our wide sins, you know. Everybody's doing it. The whole culture is doing it. It's like coming at you like a Mack truck. Ah, everybody's doing it. You know how it is. Everybody's bad-mouthing everybody else, and you did it too. And Christ still loves you. You've got those long sins. You know the ones? They take a long time. They burrow into your life sort of like a mole or a gopher or something like that. And you watch, you look at this picture and then all of a sudden you're on a website a few weeks later. And Christ still loves you. Then you've got these high sins. You know the ones the ones you don't even realize at the time are sins when you do them. You've got this awful smugness, this self-righteousness where you look down on other people. And Christ still loves you. And then you've got those deep sins. You know the ones they pockmark your life like a depth charge? has gone off. You can't believe you did that in your past. And Christ still loves you. It's like that for us as we live with Jesus. Year by year and month by month and week by week and day by day. We grasp what cannot be grasped. We know what cannot be known. We know the love of Jesus. And we dare to say to ourselves the almost unbelievable truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
And every time you say it, there's yet still more love. I got an email earlier this week. I guess you could say it took my breath away when I received it. It was an email that reminded me what a privilege it is to be a pastor and a preacher at this time. More than that, what a privilege it is for you to be a Christian at this time. It really is. I saw one commentator say that we might be living in a fourth great American crisis right now. I don't know if that's historically right. I don't have enough historical perspective, I guess. But what I know is this. It's a great time to be a pastor. And it's a great time to be the church. (laughs) When there's a lot of darkness, we get to be the light. When there's a lot of lying and manipulation, we get to be the truth. When there are so many people who don't know what the foundation is, everything seems to be crumbling, we've got a rock. It's a great time to be a pastor. And it's a great time to be the church. And I was reminded by this email that I got as one of those unprecedented emails. You never get emails like this. Came from a Christian teacher that I respect. He wrote to me this. After the recent events at the Capitol, he said, I've already started to pray for you and promise to continue over the next several weeks. I pray that you and your people find hope, not in what our eyes see, but in the promise that God has given us in his word, made flesh. What he promises is breathtaking, an end to the evil that plagues us, forgiveness, reconciliation with God himself, resurrection, eternal life, How wonderful it is that you get to share this sure word of hope with your people. That there's always more. See, the Christ that forgives you is the Christ who also fixes you. The Christ who reconciles you is also the Christ who restores you. The Christ who redeems you is also the Christ who will resurrect you. That's why the Apostle John said that this perfect love casts out all fear of what is there to be afraid Christ is wider. Christ is longer. Christ is higher. Christ is deeper. 
in this time when so many different things can dwell in your hearts. Sometimes through anger, sometimes through fear, other times through despair. I'm on my knees for you today. And I'm praying that it would be Christ who dwells in you through faith. In this time when there are so many people who are batted to and fro with every news cycle, who are blowing in the breezes with every philosophy and ideology, today I am on my knees for you. And I am praying that you would be rooted, that you would be established, and that you would be founded in Christ. In a time when so many people are breaking apart, hating each other, polarized against each other, I am on my knees for you, that you, together, with all the saints in heaven and on earth, Christians of the past, Christians now, and Christians in the future, that you would grasp the, the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and that you would know this love that surpasses all knowledge. And finally today, in a time when there are so many people who are waiting for the other shoe to drop, I'm on my knees for you today. And I'm praying that you would know the power of God. The God who can do more than all the things that can possibly be done. More than you can possibly Imagine. And now to him. Be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen.